Robert Novak's nickname was the Prince of Darkness, named that by many of his friends and fellow Washington-based journalists. In 2007, two years before he died at age 78, his autobiography was published about his 50 years as a reporter, television personality, author, and conservative political commentator. He appeared on Book Notes at that time. Here are some excerpts from that interview about his book, The Prince of Darkness. You have on page 432 of your book um, a story about Tip O'Neill saying he left Congress in 1986 and he wrote a book called Man of the House and that there's a story in there about Rowley, Roland Evans and and you, which constituted, I'm quoting, the worst lie about us ever committed to print by a public figure. Explain that. In his memoir, he, he has a lot of things in that memoir about a lot of people that aren't true, but I'm just going to worry about myself. He said that when he became majority leader, before he was speaker, Rowley and I went to see him, and uh, we offered him a deal. He said that if uh, he would give us uh, news tidbits, we'd pave his way to be speaker of the House, and he kicked us uh, out, of, out, of the, uh, out of his office. Uh, it's an absolute lie. Uh, we did get to see him when he became majority leader. We congratulated him, hoped we'd be able to see him. But we had a very good relationship after that. We, uh, we wrote columns on it. That as I look back on him, we're probably too praiseworthy of him. He uh, appeared on a forum that Evans and I put on twice a, a year, the Evans-Novak Political Forum. He was, uh, he was on television uh, with us. Uh, every time he'd see me, he'd cuffed me on the head, which I didn't care for, but that was a, a sign of, of, of affection. And uh, so this was an absolute falsehood. And the reason was that uh, we were doing an interview show for RKO Television, and he uh, got himself in trouble in things he said, nothing we did, on that show. And I think it soured him on us. But uh, he was known as a liar, and, uh, and he certainly lied about us. You also do something that I don't know that I've ever seen before. You name tons of your sources. Yeah, I had always thought that uh, when I wrote, I've thought a long time I was going to write a memoir and that I would uh, uh, divulge uh, all my sources then as I uh, tripped into retirement, but I'm not going to retire. I'm never going to retire. So uh, uh, what I did was I, 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 I named dead sources, uh, people who have died, I named, and people I think that uh, really this can't hurt them, I named them. I still... I don't. I don't name some some of the sources. I don't. I'm not very really secretive about it. I don't publicize it. But I I tell a, a lot more sources than uh, than, than uh, you would think. I try to tell you how I got stories and try to take some of the mystery on how a, 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 a columnist or a reporter who gets a lot of exclusive actually gets the exclusives. You um, had something changed between the time that you wrote the galleys, which we have been able to look at for some time preparing for the interview and when the final book comes out. And so I'm going to start on the source by asking who Mr. X was and what's the story around it. In, um, in 1972, when, uh, after George McGovern ran the, uh, uh, won the Massachusetts primary by a landslide and looked like he was going for the nomination, and a lot of Democrats were very concerned, and uh, I quoted a very liberal senator, um, uh, 
without without giving his name in the column as saying that uh, uh, when the when the when the working people of the country find out that George McGovern is for legalization of marijuana, amnesty for draft dodges, and for abortion, uh, they would uh, turn sour on him, and it would be a disaster for the Democrats. And so that became Humphrey. Wilbur Humphrey was trying to get the nomination from him, and he. He turned that into the, he was the AAA candidate, amnesty, abortion, and acid. And uh, uh, the, the McGovern people said, I had made it up. I've never made up anything in my life for a column. They said I had made it up, and, and, and this was a fictitious uh, a senator. This came out way after the election. We tried to, we, Broly and I went to this senator, had lunch with him at the San Susi restaurant. Uh, he said he was running for re-election. The McGovern people would kill him if we revealed his name. And so many years later, when he, uh, when I'm writing the book, the guy's long gone out of politics, I asked if he would uh, uh, let his name be used. And he wrote, I wrote him, and he wrote me back, and he said, no, it was, it was off the record. Even this guy was, was out of politics, and there was no need for keeping it secret. So we referred to him in the in the galley proof that that you had as as first Senator X and then Mr. X. And who is he? He died uh, between the time that the uh, uh, <clears throat> the the galleys came out and the book came out, and it was Thomas Eagleton, uh, the, the for a short time the running mate of George McGovern. Never dreaming when he called him uh, when he was when he said those things about uh, McGovern that he would be McGovern's choice to be vice president until he was kicked off the ticket because he hadn't told him about uh, a uh, some uh, a uh, a disorder a nervous disorder he had that uh, uh, had been treated and uh, had kept that secret. You remember that story, but uh, so it, it's a shocking story and ironic that uh, the man who who used this triple A candidate, which haunted McGovern and it haunted me was Tom uh, Eagleton. Why do you feel you can reveal the source now that he's dead? Uh, because I, I, he was the only person who knew about it. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was something that, uh, 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 that uh, I think all bets are off when, once, once the source dies. I, I, a lot of sources I do reveal who aren't dead, but uh, the ones that are dead I definitely reveal. I wrote a bunch down. I'm going to ma- name them, and then I'm going to read what you say about them, and okay. then you can explain it. Ken Duberstein, who was he? You call him a longtime source. He was a longtime source of mine. He was, a for- he was uh, Ronald Reagan's last chief of staff. He was a former uh, – uh, uh, he was a, uh, he's a high, high-powered lobbyist, and he uh, – he revealed himself in another book as a source of somebody who was a go-between uh, between me and uh, Richard Armitage in the uh, uh, Valerie Plame case. Why would he be willing to do that? I mean, he what he revealed. I would never have used his name, but the, his name came out in a book by uh, uh, David Korn and uh, uh, Mike Isakoff. Did you ask him whether you could do this? No, the book has already appeared. The name has already appeared. Second name on the list is Carl Rove, and then you say never enjoyed such a good source inside the White House. That's true. Uh, he was uh, he was a confirming source on the Valerie Plame story. That uh, his uh, he revealed himself as having uh, uh, he quoted himself as what he told me. So that that uh, uh, the the confidentiality was gone by his own uh, statement. What do we mean when we say source? Source is somebody who tells you something about news. A, a reporter re- relies on sources. How long have you known Carl Rove? How long has he been a source? Carl Rove has been a source uh, since he was a young fellow uh, as a comp- uh, consultant in uh, in uh, in Austin, Texas, uh, in the uh, in the 19- what I guess the nineteen seventies. 
What's the rule? What are what are the rules when you have a source? Did you name him in, in any of these columns? No, I didn't name him. Uh, but uh, everybody knew he was he was my source. Uh, that was known. What was not known was that he was a, a confirming source on the uh, Valerie Plame story. But he he uh, he that's that's that information came out through him and his lawyer. Bill Crystal, you write a lot about Bill Crystal, and you say he's been a super source before, but you've had kind of a falling out. Tell us the background on the Bill Crystal story. But I was very, I, I thought I was a personal friend of Bill Crystal, and he was a super source. I never would have uh, revealed it, but uh, uh, he, uh, 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 he uh, at the time that, this is a very complicated story, but the, one of the leading neocons, David Frum, wrote a, an attack on me in the National Review, listed me and Pat Buchanan and other people as hating America, which is just just ridiculous, uh, uh, an assault because I was not in favor of the intervention in Iraq. I was opposed to the intervention in Iraq. And uh, he had, uh, Frum had some grievances against me, and he wrote this piece. And I uh, just on a, on a, when I heard this was running in National Review, I just called up uh, 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 Bill Crystal, who was a, a, a great neocon, and you ask him what he knew about this, and uh, he said he never heard of the story. I couldn't believe that he didn't know about it. Never called me back. Never returned the call. Never had another conversation with him. I used to talk to him once once a week, and then later, uh, he was the only conservative journalist I know who attacked me for the uh, uh, CIA leak case, the Valerie Plame case, in which he referred, referred to my action on on C-SPAN as reprehensible. And I believe it had nothing to do with Valerie Plame, but I believe that uh, uh, there, there was a resentment on uh, my position on, uh, on Israel and on the U.S. intervention in Iraq. You named Bill Moyers as the best LBJ source. Yes, that's right. He was 25 years old at the time. That's right. He was, uh, he was trying to uh, deal with, uh, with the press, and we were trying to uh, Roley had great sources in the uh, Kennedy White House because he was very close to Jack Kennedy. And uh, Kennedy had had Pierre, Pierre Salinger phone, uh, I mean, Johnson had uh, Pierre Salinger phone Roley and tell him that uh, uh, your day is over here. You don't have any sources. You're out of there. So Roley was trying to rebuild some sources. And, and we had some success with uh, Bill Morris. Bill's, Bill's been very uh, critical of me in, uh, in years uh, to come. He thinks uh I've moved far to the right, and I think he's moved far to the left. Wilbur Mills, a marvelous source. Who was he? Wilbur Mills was the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee. He had a reputation as the smartest uh, member of Congress, and uh, he, was, uh, he was brilliant and uh, uh, had some very strong ideas on tax policy. He, he believed in tax cutting, but only um, in return for cutting tax advantages. And so he got, um, he got uh, crossways with John F. Kennedy, who wanted to uh, uh, cut taxes without uh, necessarily taking out the loopholes. You say you never criticize a source in your column. Try not to. Uh, sometimes you do a little bit. You don't get total protection by being a source, but uh, that's, that's the way the world works. Very few reporters will admit that. That's one of the unusual, I think that's one of the unusual things about this book. The, the biggest scoop ever, Bob Ellsworth, and as you call him in the book, Melvy Laird, yeah. <laughs> uh, former Secretary of Defense, you call him your best congressional source? Yes. Melvin Laird. Melvin Laird, yes. He was, uh, he was wonderful. Uh, we'd uh, have a, have a uh, go up to, to his little hideaway office in the House of Representatives and would have, a, when he was in the 
when he was the uh, he was really the most powerful uh, Republican in the House. Ford was nominally the leader, but Laird was in charge. And uh, yeah, shall we said he'd say, well, "Shall we have a shooter? We have a little uh, <clears throat> uh, whiskey before dinner." Everybody drank in those days, and then he he'd really tell me what was going on in the house. Uh, but uh, I got a I got a scoop that uh, he was being named uh, uh, Secretary of Defense, which was a total surprise. Nobody uh, by 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 uh, by Nixon, because everybody thought that Scoop Jackson, a Democrat, was going to be named Secretary of Defense because uh, uh, Nixon wanted one Democrat in the cabinet. That was a huge scoop, and that ran in front pages with, it was a, got it on a Sunday night, put it out for Monday morning, and most papers couldn't get their own story. The Washington Post did, but uh, most papers couldn't, and so they used our column on page one. Why would Bob Ellsworth, he was a congressman, I don't know if he was at the time, but a no. uh, Republican from Kansas, why would he slip this to you? Uh, well, I asked him uh, I asked him if I could use his name as the source. As for this ma- book? For this book. And, and many of the sources I did ask. I asked him, he said, sure. And uh, I asked him why he gave it to me, and he said, I, I liked you, I wanted to help you out. Uh, he, it was no ulterior motive, it didn't didn't want to kill the thing, he liked, thought it was a good, good nomination. Uh, but he was he was helpful to me. Uh, uh, reporters have to get people that uh, that are fond of them and want to help them out as well as help themselves out by by leaking information. What are the? I think you gave three or four reasons on why somebody would be a source and well, leak information. Uh, well, one one thing is is to is to kill the story because it it became public. One is to ingratiate himself with the person so he gets a good press. Uh, one is to uh, to do damage to to uh, to the to the story. To somebody in the story that's happening out, or, as in the case of Mr. Ellsworth, just, just do me a favor. You also tell us about your drinking problem. Uh, I can remember you the scenario of <laughs> around lunchtime you'd have a couple of cutty sarks over and water, and then you'd have wine or beer, beer. and <laughs> and uh, then you'd go home with your wife Geraldine and have another couple of cutties and uh, and and wine. And by the time the day was over, maybe as many as eight drinks. Were you an alcoholic, or are you? Well, I was. I really thought uh, 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 that was on a, on, a, on an easy day. It was eight drinks. Uh, if I was covering a story or going to a dinner, political dinner or political reception, I have a lot more than that. Um, but I didn't think I was an alcoholic because I I didn't drink in the morning. I didn't uh, I didn't ever miss appointments. Never missed a column. I didn't uh, I didn't feel uh, uh, when I when I was cut off and couldn't drink, I didn't feel bad. So I said to myself, I'm not an alcoholic. I had a drinking problem. Whether I was an alcoholic or not, I don't know, which probably would have caused great trouble for me, except for the fact that uh, uh, in 1982, I got spinal meningitis, almost died, and I really couldn't drink after that. I did, it, just, it just wouldn't go down. Couldn't drink scotch anymore, I know that. And maybe I always thought maybe that was the Lord uh, helping me out when I couldn't help myself out. Do you drink at all now? I drink a little bit. Uh, I, uh, as I say in the book, sometimes I, uh, I, uh, I found out in, in more recent years if I just have a few drinks, it's a few drinks too many. I've, I, uh, I've fainted a couple of times. At, at, so I, I can't really drink at all now. So I will, I will have uh, maybe two or three drinks a week and never more than one uh, in a night. Who's the kid you punched in the face? <laughs> Uh, in the at the Republican convention in San Francisco in 1964, uh, 
uh, column was only a year old, and Newsweek was doing a real puff job on it. So the press sec- section is the you and hot- you and Rolly Evans, yes, uh, as the hottest cop reporting team since the Allsop brothers broke up. People out there probably don't know who the Allsop brothers were, so we won't even. But they were a hot column team, and um, so they were running this story, and uh, 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 I was covering the platform committee, and this young Republican came up to me uh, who said I had. Uh, I had misquoted him or, or quoted him when he was supposed to be off the record and some uh, racist remarks he had made to me at the uh, uh, Republican, uh, Young Republicans National Convention a few weeks earlier, also in San Francisco. And uh, he started calling me slimy and other epithets. And so I, I, was, I had been out drinking the night before and uh, had a short temper, and so I, I socked him. And uh, he was a much younger fe- fellow than me. He probably could have wiped wiped out the floor with me, but everybody grabbed us, and so he never got to, to hit me back. And I was, uh, I told Roy about it so he didn't get a bad idea, and uh, I had, um, uh, I, <clears throat> I said, now keep it quiet. So he went out to dinner uh, that night uh, and uh, at the, told, regaled everybody with the story at the dinner party. At the dinner party was uh, Herb Kane, the famous columnist of the San Francisco Chronicle, who put it in the column about be punching this guy and of course Newsweek was doing this article and they wanted to they, they said they were going to put it in the in the story and so I begged Ben Bradley who was then the bureau chief uh, Newsweek uh, Washington bureau chief not to use the story so I said it was out of character maybe it was maybe it wasn't but uh, he wasn't having any of it he ran into the story and they uh, uh, they referred to me as I am the greatest uh, as a takeoff on uh, um uh, Muhammad Ali. You ta- you cite some oral histories that you saw for the first time in 2004, 2006. When I was writing the book. When you were writing the book of things that you didn't know about Roly Evans back when you were working together and, and it was part of it was a relationship that he had with the Kennedys. It's all it was always a relationship with Bobby Kennedy and uh, things that uh, meetings he had with Kennedy that I didn't know about things that Kennedy had told him which uh, Relevant to things we were writing about on the column, and uh, but uh, he never he never told me about it. He to, he told the uh, the oral history at the Kennedy Library about it uh, when he was interviewed uh, uh, about it in the uh, I believe in the 1970s. What was your reaction when you saw that he hadn't told you? Well, I was surprised. I, I was surprised. Uh, you know, uh, I loved Rowley, and he was uh, he was long, long gone by then, and you know you can't get mad at something like that, but. Uh, I was I was surprised and uh, uh, but it uh, it it kind of uh, it uh, it w- it was interesting that he had this very he had his very close relationship with Bobby. He told me that uh, he would uh, he was too close to Bobby. And he's told that to, in the oral history too. But he also told to me and that he would never ever get that close to a politician again. You wrote that David Stockman uh, might have been the best high level source you've ever had. Yes, right. Who was he? David Stockman was the budget director uh, in uh, uh, in the first year in the in the Reagan administration, and he uh, uh, brilliant guy, and he was uh, he was the prince of the supply side economics. I was a supply sider. We used to have uh, we used to talk constantly on the phone, and we had uh, breakfast at the Hay Adams every other uh, uh, every other Saturday. And uh, the odd Saturdays, he didn't talk to me. He talked to Bill Greider, who was a left wing uh, journalist, and he wrote an article. On the for the Atlantic Monthly, quoting uh, uh, David uh, Stockman on the record, on uh, just attacking 
the Reagan administration. I said in the book, it was like uh, in the middle of the uh, uh, Russian Revolution, uh, Stalin had turned against Marxism. And it was, a, it was an incredible uh, 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 stab in the back for Reagan, who didn't fire Stockman. He, could, he couldn't believe it. He believed Stockman had, hadn't intended to do it, and he kept him on. He was a disruptive force for the rest of his time uh, in the, uh, in the uh, White House. And you said that Bob Holloman, chief of staff to Richard Nixon, was treated more harshly because he refused to contact you, refused to talk with you. I think so, yes. But uh, probably justifiably so. I think he deserved it. Are you going to get criticized, in your opinion, do you think, by the journalism community for oh, this kind of stuff? Oh, yeah. For admitting all this? I think so. I think I'm... I, I'm see, journalists are not supposed to tell these things and, and how journalists really, uh, really function. Thanks for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at podcasts at c-span.org.